You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Welcome back to another edition of Funky Monkey MMA. I am Kane Miller, joined by Matt Webb. You guys probably already saw our previous show where we broke down the UFC 210 prelim predictions. For this show, we will be breaking down all five fights on the pay per view main card. Really good main card we got in front of us. I'm excited to jump into it. Uh, and, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into all these fights. So the first fight on the pay-per-view, we have Will Brooks taking on Charles Oliveira. Now, Will Brooks, he's been a top lightweight for quite a long time now. He was the Bellator champion, and he moved over to the UFC and had good success where he won against Ross Pearson. But he's coming off of a very unfortunate loss to Alex Oliveira. Um, yeah, there was a lot of controversy there because Oliveira missed weight. And it uh, looks like Wilbrooks also had a rib injury. So it was kind of a tough loss for him. But at the same time, I, I think that Wilbrooks is still a top prospect here. But he does have an interesting challenge in front of him with Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira finally moving up to lightweight again just because he struggled to make that featherweight limit for so long. So I'm excited to see him compete at 155. I think that he was just draining himself at featherweight. And I'm hoping that because he's now moving up that we're going to see even better performances from him because he's one of the most dangerous submission artists in all of the UFC. And I think that that's what makes this a very interesting fight. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this opener? I'm going through Charles Oliveira right now. I'm like, I can't, I forget how he's been in the UFC since 2000, uh, since 2010. That is crazy. He's been in the UFC for seven years now. Yeah. And he has seven. Yeah. He's only 27 too. (laughs) Like, like that's really crazy to think about. Yeah. That's insane to think about. And he's, I mean, he fought the who's who's from being in the UFC. I mean, and, 17 fight career in the UFC. I mean, he's a vet. He's a 27 year old grizzled vet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's, like you said, he's one of the best grapplers in the lightweight and or featherweight division, whichever he chooses to beat at. I'm like you. I really like him being, you know, 155. I mean, his last fight was Ricardo Lamas. He made the yeah. lightweight. Well, yeah, yeah, he, he actually, yeah, he weighed in at 155. I was like, man, you, you weighed in an entire weight class above than what you were scheduled. How does that even happen? Like, like what happened, yeah. dude? Yeah, he uh, he made the lightweight limit, even though he was fighting at featherweight. So. Yeah, yeah, he made he made and, uh, a weight class. Yeah, which hey, uh, do what you can. Yeah, but, really. Yeah, I like I like seeing him go back to 155. Like you were saying, I, these fighters who are draining their bodies, sinking down the weight classes that they, you know, they already drain it enough going to 155. And then he was going to go all the way down to 145. And, I mean, he did. He had a decent career at 145, but, I mean, he missed weight three times being in that mm-hmm. weight class. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That should never happen. That shows right there that you're not supposed to be fighting at lightweight. And I think the reason he did move down to featherweight is because there's some lightweights that are very strong. Good thing is welcoming back to the lightweight division is Will Brooks. And I mean, Will Brooks isn't that strong, quote-unquote joking. Will Brooks is a beast. Yeah. That guy, Will, Will Brooks, is one of my favorite fighters. I've been watching him since he got knocked out by – Sadawad and Bellator. And I, I remember being so upset watching him get knocked out by Sadawad because they're like, this kid is really talented. And they went on to beat John Alessio. He beat Sadawad in the rematch. He beat Michael Chandler, then beat Michael Chandler again, then beat Dave Jansen, then beat Marcin Held. And then, his, you know, first fight against Ross Pearson in the UFC. Ross Pearson is a very highly talented guy. He's one of the best gatekeepers in the UFC's lightweight division for years now. And 
uh, Willbrooks pretty much handled him. Now, his last fight with Alex Oliveira, Oliveira is very underrated. I mean, he's a really mm-hmm. big lightweight in himself, and he missed uh, – Oliveira missed the weight class by six pounds, and now he's fighting a waterweight, so that kind of shows. But yeah, he got hit in the ribs really bad in that fight, and he was never the same in that fight. I think, it, you know, if the rib shot never happened, I think he would have went in and continued doing what he was doing to Oliveira, and he was winning that fight pretty convincingly until the rib shot, and then Oliveira started to overwhelm, uh, overwhelm him. So I like Will Brooks a lot. I'm happy to see um, Charles Oliveira back at uh, lightweight. I think this is a really good fight. I mean, the biggest question is going to be Will Brooks's, you know, wrestling game versus Oliveira's submission game. I think the X factor in the fight will be stand-up. Will Brooks has really good stand-up, and Oliveira has really, really good Muay Thai. So it's going to be a good fight. I'm I'm pretty pumped for this fight. I'm glad it's opening up the card. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. What about you, Kane? Yeah, it's it's a really tricky fight. Like you, I'm a big Will Brooks fan. Like, I've really liked him since his Bellator days, and I'm so happy that he's finally in the UFC. His last fight was hard to watch just because there were so many factors in there. I mean, you know, you can't blame uh, – you can't take anything – I mean, you can take some away from Alex Oliveira because he missed weight so, so predominantly, and that does – take a big factor into it but at the same time you know he he caused the rib injury and that caused uh Wilbrooks's cardio to fail uh Wilbrooks has really fantastic cardio almost all the time and so that really wore on him uh I, I do think that he beats Alex Oliveira like nine times out of ten and that just happened to be kind of unfortunate for him in that in that aspect but against Charles Oliveira it's really tricky because Wilbrooks is the more well-rounded guy he has good striking he's very good wrestling and he's really good at pacing himself he's kind of like even though he's not on like the same level you know he makes me think of guys like george st pierre guys that can just like kind of do everything he can you know he can outstrike you he can out wrestle you he can use his jujitsu to to outwork you and i think that's what makes him so dangerous and that's kind of why I'm fighting with him and why I think he'll get the win. But he'll need to be careful because Charles Oliveira is one of those guys who's just always dangerous. It doesn't matter who he's facing, his his scary jiu-jitsu and his very, very tricky submission game is just going to be difficult for anyone to deal with. You know, he catches guys in very in very unique submissions, I guess is the way to, to go about it. You know, whether it's uh, whether it's that reverse calf slicer that he pulled off against Eric Weisley, you know, he goes for anaconda chokes, he goes for flying triangle chokes, standing rear naked chokes, uh, you know, arm bars from any position. He has a really good guillotine. He'll pull guard with it. And when you have a guy like that, that's just that deadly and that committed to his submission game, that's just really challenging to deal with for many guys. Now, that being said, I do. I'm still going with Will Brooks here because I think that he'll likely just try to keep the fight standing. We've seen Charles Oliveira kind of struggle on the feet before, um, you know, like the the Cub Swanson fight and uh, you know the Frankie Edgar fight, Donald Cerrone, uh, you know, kind of stuff like that. I I think that he can kind of struggle on the feet, and Will Brooks is going to be more the more technical guy, and that's really going to help him get the win. Now, he can't get overly confident. He can't, which I don't think he will, but he can't get, you can't have a lapse in concentration because when you give Charles Oliveira even the smallest opening, he will capitalize on it and he will submit you by doing that. But I think that Will Brooks is just too smart of a fighter. I think that his fight IQ is too good. And I think that that's going to help him get his hand raised. I think that he's going to stay on the outside, kind of dart in and out, land those big punches and ultimately get the decision win. I'm kind of on the same page as you. I'm, I can't believe Will Brooks isn't ranked. And yeah, the that's weird. Rankings. I don't know. I don't understand why he is. I know he lost to Oliveira, but, I mean, just to name a rent, I mean, if Will Brooks fights Michael Johnson, I, I think Will Brooks wins that fight. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that Will Brooks can beat a good number of the top lightweights right now. You know, like a, like a lot of the top ten guys. I think that Will Brooks gives all those guys a good a run for their money. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you on that. It's kind of disrespectful for them not to have him. I mean, Jesus. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, Woolbrooks is he's a great wrestler. You know, one of the best wrestlers. He's got really good cardio. He's very strong, very powerful. And the move up for uh, Charles Oliveira. He's been fighting featherweight, even though he himself has not been weighing in at featherweight. He's been fighting at featherweight. <laughs> yeah. So I think him come. I think him coming up the lightweight and fighting, you know, one of the bigger lightweights in the division is going to be kind of a shell shock for him. Like I think he's going to remember why he moved down. But mm-hmm. like you said, like his, his submission game is opportunistic. He will throw on. He will slap on a triangle. He can submit you with crazy submissions like the calf slicer. He can do guillotines he's got a really 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 well-rounded submission game yeah like one of the one of the best submission practitioners throughout you know the ufc's lightweight and or featherweight division mm-hmm. but kind of like you always say like position over submission and that's will brooks's you know key to victory in my opinion will brooks is going to be able to get the takedown if he wants to charles Oliveira will probably be happy to give him the takedown i think so I'm kind of opposing. I don't think it's going to be – I think on the feet, it will be pretty even. I think Will Brooks has an edge on the feet. But I see it going to the ground. I see Will Brooks controlling his way to a unanimous decision victory, beating Charles Oliveira. I think Charles Oliveira will get, you know, Will Brooks in some very precarious situations. But I just believe Will Brooks, you know, his wrestling, his grappling in general is just very, very high level. So I see him beating – the smaller Charles Oliveira and bullying him to a you know, unanimous decision for Will Brooks. Yeah, yeah, we're both in agreement here. Um, yeah, Charles Oliveira, the, the submission over position thing, it's worked for him in the past because his submissions are so deadly. But when you have a, a wrestler that's so calm and collected like Will Brooks, who is not going to really give him that space to work, I think that that's going to be a big difference here. So I think that Woolbrook's kind of outworks him everywhere. And yeah, I, I have him winning by unanimous decision. And with that, we'll move on to the welterweight division. Uh, we have Tiago Alves taking on Patrick Cote. So, you know, like we said about Charles Oliveira in the last fight with his struggles to make weight, uh, Tiago Alves has also had some weight cutting issues. His last weight, his last fight was sort of at lightweight. So, so, Tiago Alves, he's fought at welterweight throughout most of his career. Then he was coming off of a decent layoff. And at UFC 205, he was scheduled for a lightweight matchup against Jim Miller. And because Tiago Alves has struggled to make welterweight in the past, everyone thought that the move down was a really bad idea. And it turned out to be true because he weighed in over 160 for his for his lightweight debut. And that really did take a toll on his performance. He lost a very unimpressive decision to Jim Miller. and for this fight, he will be moving back up to welterweight, which is a better weight class for him. But, yeah, it's just something to always kind of keep in mind with Tiago Alves. Even when he's trying to make welterweight, he still always has those weight-cutting issues. So it's always something to keep an eye on. But when Tiago Alves is on, he is a very, very dangerous striker. We saw that, you know, like the, the recent or sort of recent TKO win over Jordan Meehan. He had the decision win over Seth Bozinski. He's a dangerous guy, you know. He's a guy who fought George St. Pierre for the title in the past, and although he's been inconsistent since then, he's still a pretty a pretty dangerous guy. And I'm glad that he is moving back up to 170. Hopefully, he won't have those weight cutting issues. And now he he'll be facing Patrick Cote, the former middleweight, who's now fighting at welterweight and has never had any kind of weight cutting issues or anything like that. He's always been uh, really good about that, but. Patrick Cote, since moving down to welterweight, has looked uh, pretty good. He has some decent wins over guys like Kyle Noak, uh, Josh Berkman, Ben Saunders, and he is coming off of a TKO loss to Donald Cerrone, but he still looked pretty good there. And I think that Berkman, I'm sorry, I think that Cote is still one of those guys that will never be a, a champion, but he has the skills to, to hang around in the UFC. And I kind of see that's where both, Cote and Alves are right now. They're kind of at a crossroads. I, I think they're talented enough to stay within the UFC and fight decent competition, but I don't see them ever really becoming contenders again. But uh, who knows? I guess this fight will kind of will kind of test that. But Matt, what are your thoughts here? I love this fight. I think yeah, yeah I think this is going to be five the night. Tiago Alves okay. is awesome. Like Tiago yeah. Alves is a he's a throwback fighter. 
I mean, he's been fighting in the UFC since UFC Fight Night 2, which was in 2005. <laughs> so, he made his debut against another throwback fighter, Spencer Fisher. God, <laughs> throwing it way back. But, yeah, his last yeah. fight was Jim Miller. Him going to lightweight, he just looked drained. He looked yeah. clearly like he shouldn't be in that weight class. And, you know, his fight before that against Carlos Condit. Carlos Condit wrecked um, Tiago Alves' face up. But yeah, prior to prior to those two fights and those past two losses, his fight against Jordan Mean that was an awesome fight. And he landed that body kick and ended up stopping Jordan Mean, who's an awesome fighter. And then the fight prior to that is a return, his two-year layoff against Seth Bashinsky in Orlando. I was actually in the stadium for that fight, and those leg kicks oh, wow. were hellacious. And you could hear them ringing throughout the um, Amway Center in Orlando. So. That, in and of itself, the leg kicks is what I'm leaning on. I love Patrick Cote, too. This is like, this fight could have taken place in 2005, 2008, 2012, and here it is taking place in 2017, which is exciting. You know, we all know what Patrick Cote is about. He's going to go in there. He's going to give everything he has each and every time. He's going to have awesome boxing. He's going to have one hell of a chin. You know, he went and got surprised by Donald Cerrone. That was a good fight. I actually picked Patrick Cote to beat Donald Cerrone in that fight. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, to come out and see Donald Cerrone win the way he did. But it was still, you know, it wasn't a horrible performance by Patrick Cote. Patrick Cote is one of the most consistent fighters in that every fight he's coming to fight. And he's coming to either kill or be killed. And his boxing is as crisp as it gets. He has knockout, I mean punch and he has knockout power in both hands i mean he was giving anderson silva before the leg injury he was giving anderson silva fits so all in all i think the biggest difference in this fight will be the leg kicks so i see tiago alves connecting with multiple leg kicks to patrick cote and kind of wearing patrick cote down they're both really powerful strikers and i think this fight will predominantly be on the feet I mean, we never really see Tiago Elvis get rocked. Like, you never really see Tiago Elvis get stumbled. I mean, he mm-hmm. can, and if it, if anybody can do it, it can happen, you know, with Patrick Cote and the Carlos Condit. That was a doctor stoppage. It wasn't like, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't like he got knocked out cold. So, I see Tiago Elvis wearing down Patrick Cote in an awesome fight, and I see him winning. By decision, but I think the leg kicks are going to take a huge toll. So I got I got Tiago Alves by decision, but I think it's going to be five tonight. I'm pretty pumped for it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, one thing that will be interesting is kind of the size uh, discrepancy here because Cote, being the former middleweight, I think that he will be uh, the larger of the two. I think, yeah, it says that he's five eleven, and then Tiago Alves is five foot nine. So he'll be a little bit. Cote will be a, will be a little bit bigger here. Um, Cote has been using his wrestling a little bit more. His grappling has gotten good over the past few years, but Tiago Alves has very good takedown defense, and I think that that will give Cote some problems and it'll kind of force him to fight on the feet. Um, yeah, that Muay Thai of Tiago Alves is just lethal. He chops you down and just tears your legs apart with those kicks. And that'll definitely come into play here. I think that Alves, he has more of like a, the wide, uh, ar- the wider arsenal with his striking game. There's like a lot of flying knees, uh, a lot of different variations with his punching and kicking combinations. And Cote is a little bit more of a straightforward boxer with that. But I think it'll be close either way. I am a little bit nervous about Tiago Alves just because he's had so many injuries over the years. And I think it has kind of showed in those performances, you know, like he had, uh, you know, like when he, when he came back, he, he was fighting Jordan Meehan and even though he did get the win, he was getting lit up until that, until the stoppage, even though it was a really good fight. Uh, yeah, he had the loss to Carlos Condit and the loss to Jim Miller. So, I, I'm kind of I'm a little bit hesitant towards Tiago Alves just because he's had so many layoffs over the years. But when he's when he's on point, he's still a really dangerous guy. I am leaning towards Patrick Cote though, just based on 
that he's been the more active fighter over the years. And I think that sooner or later, those injuries and those layoffs will add up to Tiago Alves. Whether that happens in this fight, I don't know. But I think it's just something to really watch out for. So for me, I'm going with Patrick Cote. I think that his size and I think that his kind of good, crisp boxing style will help him win. It wouldn't be surprising if these guys got lured into a brawl, which if that happens, I think Tiago Alves will have the advantage because Cote's chin has held up well over the years, but it has kind of shown glimpses of of kind of fading over the years. Like he got rocked by Kyle Noak in their fight, and Kyle Noak has never really been like a power puncher. So it's just something that you might want to like keep an eye on too. But overall, I think I'm going with Cote based on his size. I think that it goes down to a decision. And I think that Cote can kind of outwork him with his superior boxing skills and try to get the decision that way. Yeah, I'm excited for the fight. I think it's going to be a good fight. I'm just I'm swinging towards Alves just due to leg yeah. kicks and more yeah. dynamic arsenal. But I, I can see Cote definitely winning. So it'll be a good fight, though, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a fun one. And with that, we'll move on to the women's strawweight division. We have Cynthia Cavillo making her second UFC appearance when she takes on Pearl Gonzalez, the UFC newcomer. So Cynthia Cavillo, she made her UFC debut fairly recently. It was just back at UFC 209, the last pay-per-view against Amanda Cooper, and she looked very good there. She went out there and made quick work of her opponent. She got the early takedown, locked on that rear naked choke, and just finished it in about three minutes. It was a very impressive debut from Cavillo. And I'm expecting big things from her. I think you and I were were even talking about that fight, and we were talking about how good Cavillo was. And she went out there and did pretty much what you and I said she was going to do. You know, she went out there, got the takedown, had some fantastic transitions, got the back, choked her opponent out, and made quick work of it. And she'll be bouncing back really quickly with this fight by taking on UFC newcomer Pearl Gonzalez. Gonzalez, she has looked pretty good in the regional circuit so far. She's riding a six-fight winning streak, so that's impressive in and of itself. She even has a win over Courtney Casey, who's in the UFC right now. Now, the interesting thing about this fight is that both girls are pretty similar. They're both grapplers. They like to put their opponents on their back, work ground and pound, and go for submissions. And so a big part of this will just be kind of who can get the superior positioning and who can take advantage of their opportunities more, I think. But, Matt, what are your what are your thoughts here? The last card, me and you kind of broke her down, and we both kind of had her winning against Amanda Cooper, and we were both right about mm-hmm. it. So, yeah. pat, her on, pat on our backs for being on. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, her fight with Pearl Gonzalez is – they're very similar to how they fight. They're similar in their distribution of wins. They both like the submission game, preferably. But Cynthia Calvillo turning around, and I think it's a 35-day turnaround, to come in and fight on another big spot on another pay-per-view, that kind of shows what the UFC thinks of her. They're clearly in her corner to give her these high-profile fights against favorable matchups. And I think her mm-hmm. fight against Pearl Gonzalez will be a favorable matchup. I think she can outwork Gonzalez. I think she has a little better grappling than Gonzalez. Even though Pearl Gonzalez, you know, she's no slouch. She's a good fighter. But I think the making your UFC debut on a pay-per-view, that's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal. And a lot of fighters, I mean, they'll be fighting on a fight pass prelim, and it shows in their performance they're not the same as they are on the regional yeah. circuit. So, you know, Pearl Gonzalez coming against Cynthia Calvillo, who's already handled the pressure just had to handle the same pressure 35 days ago, will be more relaxed coming into the Octagon for a second appearance, be more relaxed underneath the spotlight. If anything, I think it's going to give her an even better uh, performance. And Cynthia Calvillo, you know, she's she's a very green fighter, so each um, each fight she's going to grow substantially. You know, there's only a year difference between their age, but Cynthia Calvillo is still... She's a really good prospect, so I can see her coming in, you know, being used to the lights and getting another first-round submission against Pearl Gonzalez. You know, I don't know much about Pearl Gonzalez. You know, she has a good record. She's 6-1, and one, and she prefers submission, the submission game. So I really hope we see a grappling match, but I think Cynthia Cavillo will continue, 
you know, her win streak and continue being undefeated and come in on this pay-per-view underneath the lights and really shine and picture uh, picture her winning by first-round submission again, and then she'll go on to fight at UFC 212. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree here. I think that uh, both girls are similar, but Cavillo, I think, is just the better grappler. Now, Gonzalez, she has a decent top game, but she's not overly active. She has decent transitions, but, like, I haven't seen anything from her that makes me think, like, she's just going to, like, dominate her opponents. Whereas Cavillo, she will take you down, she will keep you there, she'll punish you with ground and pound, and either finish you with strikes or force the submission. You know, she's a girl who takes you down and just punishes you and and really asserts her dominance with her grappling. And that's just something that we haven't really seen from Gonzalez yet. I think that Cavillo is just going to be the stronger fighter on the ground, as well as the more technical fighter. I think she has the stronger wrestling, better submission skills, better transitions, all of that. And so, yeah, I think that Cavillo will just get this fight to the ground pretty early on and either get the TKO win with her ground and pound, or she'll just she'll hop on, she'll take her opponent's back, which she's really good at, and then and then uh, sink in the rear naked choke. But yeah, either way, I think that Cynthia Cavillo will get the win here on the ground. Yeah, I think it just all comes down to, I think Cynthia Cavillo is just cut and dry, a better version of Pearl Gonzalez is all it is, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, it's uh, it's big, uh, uh, it's a lot of exposure for Cynthia Cavillo. This is her second fight in the UFC and they've both been on the main card pay-per-view. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. So she's been getting a lot of exposure lately, and I think that this fight will just kind of further help her uh, cement herself as a fighter to watch at strawweight. But with that, we'll move on to the co-main event. We have a very, very intriguing matchup between former champion Chris Weidman taking on Gegard Mousasi. Chris Weidman, I mean, there's not much else we can really say about him. Everyone knows who he is. He dethroned Anderson Silva, and he defended the belt several times. He is on a bit of a skid right now. He ha- he lost the belt to Luke Rockhold back at UFC 194, and he's also coming off of a very rough loss to UL Romero at UFC 205. But that being said, Chris Weidman, he's still only uh, about 32 years old. And I think that he's still one of the best middleweights in the UFC. And we could see him challenging for the belt again before too long because, I mean, provided that provided that Bisping ever fights an actual contender in his division, then I think that if Weidman gets the shot against him, then I think Weidman beats Bisping pretty easily. But that depends on if Yael Romero will ever get his shot either. So, I don't know. That's just a little side rant there. But um, Chris Weidman... Yeah, he has some of the best wrestling in the division. His striking has come a long way, especially his boxing. He has good power, and he has very good jiu-jitsu, too, thanks to working with Matt Sarah, His ground game has just become very, very lethal. He's a very strong guy. He likes to pick you up, take you down, and just control you on the ground and really batter you with his ground and pound. Now, he'll be taking on Gekard Musasi, and he's been a top middleweight for, I mean, as long as I can remember, you know, he's kind of bounced around between light heavyweight and middleweight, but he's when he's been one of those top tier fighters for, I mean, like half of his career, you know, he's just, he's, he's a really, really dangerous guy. And he's currently riding four straight wins over Talos Latos, Dario Santos, Vitor Belfort, and Uriah Hall. Those last three were all finishes due to strikes. And he's, he's, Always been a guy to watch out for, but now he's finally kind of climbing that ladder, and he's really working his way into title contention now. And this is a big fight for him. It's a really close fight, and it really could go either way, honestly, in my opinion, because Weidman, he he's so skilled, but he has had a decent amount of injuries in his career. And he's coming off of back-to-back losses. I'm kind of wondering where he's at right now. Whereas Gegard Mousasi, he's looked fantastic lately and has remained a solid contender since anyone can even remember. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a mixed bag here. But Matt, what are your what's your input for this fight? I mean, 185 is filled with killers, and yet yeah. we're not seeing any of these killers fight for a title. 
which is weird beyond me. Yeah. Log mm-hmm. jam. So. Yeah, yeah this, they, this is man, a... they they just gotta like they just gotta sit Bisbing down and make him fight a contender. Like they gotta make him fight Yoel Romero. You know, like fighting George Saint Pierre makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, make him fight an actual contender because it's just it's a stalemate right now, and nothing's even happening in a division full of all these talented guys. You know. I agree, and the thing it's like it's one of the rare. Like I agree, I could see where Bisbing is where he is. He's you know he's paid his dues. He's being the UFC, he finally wants that big payday, and he's getting a, you know, one of the greatest of all time in George St. Pierre, but who's also a welterweight, who's also had a three-year layoff. So yeah. I understand, yeah. I understand why Bisbing would want the fight. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily going, you know, after Bisbing, but I'm saying like the UFC as a whole, and maybe this has to do with the UFC sale, but the this money fights mantra is just. It's getting ridiculous, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like you have, there's so many intriguing fights, like Chris Weidman, Gegard Mousasi, Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold. I mean, Robert Whitaker, Derek Brunson. The list. There's so many talented yeah. middleweights right now, and yeah. the middleweight the middleweight division is more exciting than it ever was when um, Anderson Silva was reigning at the top of it. And this is another fight. So it's like Chris Wyman and Gegard Mousasi are essentially fighting to see, okay, who goes up the ladder to essentially wait behind George St. Pierre. And because we know Yoel is getting the title shot after, you know, St. Pierre. So essentially they're fighting to take a number is what, in my opinion, they're doing. But the fight's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I would, it is. I would give, I would give the stand-ups – to Gegard Mousasi because of his kickboxing background. He's one of the best stand-up artists in middleweight. But Chris Weidman's also no slouch, you know, standing up. He did outstrike Anderson Silva. He did outstrike Lyoto Machida. So Chris Weidman's also no joke standing up. We can't forget that gorgeous step and elbow he landed on Mark Munoz way back when. So Chris Weidman has the tendencies to do that. And let's not forget, like, before these two losses, like Chris, like everybody was talking about Chris Weidman, like the second coming. Like, I mean, he was just every fight, just making leap after leap after leap. He's a finally we have this elite wrestler who's also an elite jujitsu artist who also can stand and trade with the best of them. And if it weren't for that, for some reason, that spinning back kick against Luke Rockhold, which was maybe the stupidest thing I've ever seen in a title fight, and then. You know, but that was like a minute mistake. Like that, that fight was very back and forth. And I had Chris Weidman winning that fight. And then same mm-hmm. with the Yoel Romero fight. He just a level change. Yeah. And when decided to level change, when Yoel Romero decided to launch up in the air and throw an out of nowhere flying knee. And I thought Chris Weidman was winning the Yoel fight. So it's just like these, these strange lapses in concentration for him have led to ultimate defeat against Luke Rockhold and Yoel Romero. And those are both the elite middleweights at the division. And I think Gegard Mousasi is also elite. But I just I just give Chris Weidman the edge that if he doesn't if he doesn't make a mistake, you know, if he doesn't get flying need like UL, which I don't think Gegard's gonna do that, and if he doesn't get, you know, thorough ill advised spinning back kick out of nowhere that he's never thrown in his entire life, if he goes back to, you know, a clinical Chris Weidman a very not cautious, but a very a very process driven Chris Weidman, a very you know cerebral Chris Weidman. He can go in there and he can be any middleweight in the world. And I love Gegard Mousasi. I actually have Gegard Mousasi written down to pick right now, but for some reason I just see Chris Weidman coming in there and getting a decision and going back to his wrestling roots and going back to his jiu-jitsu game because we've seen Gegard Mousasi get submitted by Jacare. I think. Chris Wyman also has those capabilities. That's interesting. So you originally had Musasi as your original pick, but now you're but now you're switching over to uh, to Chris Weidman? Yeah, I, yeah, I just talked myself out of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it. It happens. Yeah, man, I, I, I've just, I've been this in the main event. I've just been going back and forth on for the longest time now because Chris Weidman, he. You know, his record speaks for itself. He's beaten so many top guys. You know, he 
he dethroned Anderson Silva. That's always, I think, what his legacy is going to be. He beat guys like Leo Machida and Vitor Belfort. Before that, he beat guys like Damian Maia and Mark Munoz. You know, he he's just a top middleweight. And, yeah, it's these these small little mistakes that just wind up costing him these fights. And that's really kind of held him back in his last two fights. But then you have someone like Gegard Mousasi, who has some, yeah, has some of the most technical kickboxing skills in at 185. He has good power. So we've seen that in his past several finishes. And he has a very good ground game, very good wrestling, very good jiu-jitsu. You know, we went in his fight with Mark Munoz. He just went out there and submitted him and made it look easy. He's one of the most well-rounded guys in his weight class, and that alone makes him so difficult. But, man, it's just, it's so difficult to predict. I think that Weidman can get the win if he just relies a lot on his wrestling. Not to say that he can't outstrike Musashi, but Musashi's footwork, his head movement, his chin, his precise boxing skills, those are all so good that I think that he could very well outpoint his way to a decision. And I don't know... I think that Weidman would be wise to try to just avoid that and try to use his wrestling edge to get the win there. It's really, really close. Ultimately, yeah, I think I'm going with Weidman too. Initially, like when I first was breaking it down, I was thinking I was also going to go towards go more towards Misasi based on how Weidman has looked lately or just, you know, based on his losses. But yeah, I think that when Weidman is on, he's one of the best middleweights, you know, in, in the world, obviously. And I think that he, he does have the skills to go down as one of the best middleweights of all time. And he could very well get that belt back, uh, it, but it will have to start with this fight. You know, he, he's fought nothing but top competition for so long. Yeah, it just, I think it comes down to, like you were saying, like his his concentration those mental lapses, trying to avoid those, and just trying to remain, trying to like keep his head in the game 100% of the time. And I think he can do that. You know, he's not, we're not going to see anything wild from Gegard Mousasi. He's very technical 100% of the time. But I do think that Weidman's overall grappling game and his good boxing game and his jiu-jitsu will help him get the win here. I don't think that either guy is going to be finished because they're both pretty durable. I mean, Gegard Mousasi has a fantastic chin. The only time we've ever seen him finish due to strikes was when he basically shot into that like flying, uh, spinning back kick that Uriah Hall landed. And even then, he didn't go completely out. He still had to, it was just a TKO win. And then Chris Weidman, the only time he was finished was like a lethal ground and pound from Rockhold and then ducking into the flying knee from UL Romero. So those guys, they're very difficult to finish. I think this one goes to a decision more often than not. But yeah, I'm just I'm slightly leaning towards Chris Weidman here. I think that he might ease into the fight a little bit, but I think that overall he's gonna capitalize with those takedowns, outposition Musasi on the mat and win the decision probably either twenty nine twenty eight or thirty twenty seven. I think it'll be unanimous decision either way for Chris Weidman. Yeah, I think I mean this is the fight between the two most cerebral guys in the division. They're both very, you know, they're both very intelligent fighters. So I kind of, I see it the way you see it. I don't think it'll be a clean uh, clean sweep for Chris Weidman. I think it would be a 29-28 split mm-hmm. decision. I think it's going to be extremely oh, okay. close. Yeah, and I think Chris Weidman's barely going to edge it out. But I'm giving it to Chris Weidman as well. Yeah, yeah, so we're both going with Weidman there. It's, man, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised to see either guy win, but yeah, I think it's it's the experience of Weidman, the championship experience, and his really dominant grappling that I think will, will help him get the win. But man, it's close. It's almost as close as the main event between light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier and Anthony Johnson. I mean, we were talking about going back and forth on Chris Weidman, Giggard, Misasi. Like, I've just, I, like, I don't know about you, Matt, but, like, I've just gone back and forth on this main event over and over, and I'm still kind of struggling to make up my mind over it. Yeah, I just, it's a, it's a hell of a fight. It's a hell of a fight. I will say that. Yeah, so we have Daniel Cormier. You know, he obviously, he became champion when John Jones ran into, you know, all that legal trouble, and, he had, and they had to vacate the belt. And to this day, and to this day, John Jones is still the only loss on Daniel Cormier's record. 
Since then, he has beaten Anthony. He has beaten Anthony Johnson in their first fight. He beat Alexander Gustafson, and then he had to fight Anderson Silva, one of the greatest fighters of all time, on like two days' notice at UFC 200. So Daniel Cormier, he's very experienced, and he's shown that he is capable of of retaining that belt and being a dominant champion. But this is a big fight ahead of him. You know, this is this is an interesting one because breaking down the first fight. Anthony Johnson, he went out there, he hit DC with a huge shot. DC has a very good chin, and he was able to survive it. Not many people could have just eaten that shot and and gotten up from it, but DC was able to. Then Cormier, after surviving that, he was able to weather the storm, test Anthony Johnson's cardio, take the fight into deeper waters, and then eventually submit him. But things have really, really changed since that first fight. Now, Daniel Cormier, he has only fought twice since then. He fought once in 2015, or, you know, one other time in 2015, and then he fought once in 2016. This will be his first fight since UFC 200, so I'm kind of wondering how he'll look after a, a decent little layoff. Now, Anthony Johnson, he's fought three times since then. He fought once again in 2015, twice in 2016. All were very just brutal, brutal knockout wins he had. After out-wrestling Jimmy Manoa at UFC 191, he knocked him out early in the second round, made quick work of Ryan Bader with that with that lethal ground and pound, and then just had that just nasty 13-second knockout over Glover Teixeira at UFC 202. I mean, that was just – he just flatlined Glover Teixeira. It was, it was really, really something to watch. And the reason that this one is so difficult, just because Anthony Johnson – He's one of the scariest guys in the division. He's one of the scariest guys in all of the UFC. You know, he has that, that power to just finish anyone. And for a guy like Daniel Cormier, who is shown to be very durable and very good, you have to wonder how he's going to show up in this fight. Because Daniel Cormier, he's 38. And that's, that's, that's an older age to be fighting for a living. You know, 38, that's when your body kind of starts to wear down on you. That's when you're not going to be able to kind of keep up the same pace that you could when you were younger. And it's not even like someone like Pat Cummins, who we talked about in the previous show, who, you know, he's older and he has a young career and even he's kind of struggling. Daniel Cormier, he's 38 and he has almost 20 fights. I mean, that's that's really big. I mean, that's that, that's really going to take a lot out on him. And while he's shown good durability in the past, I'm really wondering how he's going to look in this fight because on top of his age, on top of taking a lot of punishment over the years, you know, he got rocked in the Anthony Johnson fight and the Alexander Gustafson fight, all that. I mean, he takes big shots, and those those really add up. And so I'm really – it's kind of a question mark as to how Daniel Cormier – is going to look in this fight because the older he gets, the more difficult it's going to be. And whether it's this fight or another fight that he, the deterioration is going to set in place, it's going to happen inevitably. And it could very well happen in this fight because Anthony Johnson is so dangerous. But yeah, I think I've, I've gone on for, for a while about this one, Matt. How do you see this fight playing out? Like Daniel Cormier, yeah, I love his heart. I love his story. I love his determination. I love his wrestling. I love his slams. You know, I love everything about Daniel Cormier. But that first fight against Anthony Johnson, you know, the fight against John Jones, he got he didn't get schooled, but he got schooled in the John Jones fight. You know, I, yeah. I believe he won one, maybe two rounds. Yeah, I, I think I only gave him. I think I only gave him one round in the fight. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back to watch it to be sure. So then, you know, he gets to replace John Jones in the next light heavyweight title match, and he fights Anthony Johnson. Okay, Daniel Cormier and John Jones are completely different. These They are two completely different fighters. Anthony Johnson went from fighting John Jones, who is six foot four, tall, lanky, just a massive light heavyweight with an 85-inch reach, to a guy who's – Daniel Cormier is, I think, 5'11". Yeah, five foot eleven, short, stocky, and his entire game is based on his wrestling. So you're, and I, I can't remember if it was like how short the notice was. That's a significant difference in the fighters. So Anthony Johnson's preparing for John Jones, and he gets Daniel Cormier. That's completely different. Those are those are the antithesis of each other. So. And I think that played a big factor in the fight. I think I think 
I, like you saw Anthony Johnson come in and just throw flurries and bombs. And I think it was one impartially to because him not having a camp centered around a guy who's going to try to wrestle you to death, and that's Daniel Cormier's game. He's got Daniel Cormier is underrated boxing, but he will try to wrestle you to death. That's how he wins his fights, and he wins them in the clinch. John Jones mm-hmm. can do that also, but the body types are just so starchingly different. So I believe Anthony Johnson going from a guy and Anthony Johnson, who I believe Anthony Johnson believed he was going to knock out if he fought John Jones. And then to go on Daniel Cormier, who stylistically is a horrible matchup for Anthony Johnson. So I think that played a big part in the mental ability of uh, of Anthony Johnson. So I think if he has, if Anthony Johnson has the ability to actually just throughout a camp rely on Daniel Cormier, I think that's going to be the biggest difference. And like you said, Daniel Cormier is old and getting older. I mean, he's 38 years old, and his fight with Anderson Silva, it was a good fight. It was a dominant fight, but there were times Anderson Silva who took that fight on, like, two days' notice with his, you know, just that fresh out of surgery a few weeks prior, and he actually stunned Daniel Cormier with some body shots a couple of times in that fight. Granted, as Anderson Silva, he is the greatest of all time, but if Anderson Silva stuns you two days, you know, two days of prep, and comes in and stuns you with a couple of shots, what do you think Anthony Johnson's going to do, who's looked significantly better? I think if Anthony Johnson comes in and rocks Daniel Cormier and doesn't get overzealous, kind of does what he did in the Phil Davis fight, who he prepared for a wrestler for, mm-hmm. he, controlled the Phil da- he controlled the Phil Davis fight from the word go. And I think that's the mentally prepped to going in fighting a durable wrestler. So I think he knows Daniel Cormier is going to be durable. I think if he lands a shot, he's not going to blow his wide trying to finish Daniel Cormier. So I think Anthony Johnson's a front runner, and you're not going to see Anthony Johnson come from behind. I think if he lands a shot on Daniel Cormier, then he can either take Daniel Cormier out or control the fight long enough to get a decision or take him out later in the fight. Yeah, it's a really, it's a tricky fight. I do think that part of the Phil Davis fight in my opinion, was the fact that Phil Davis, he just has those those tendencies of, like, mental lapse. You know, he can be very inactive at times. Not to take anything away from Anthony Johnson, but I do think that was that was also a factor. Um, but, yeah, nonetheless, I mean, yeah, the preparation is going to be really different for Anthony Johnson. It's, it's going to greatly help him here, too. One factor that has me leaning towards D.C., though, despite the questions surrounding him, is Anthony Johnson's cardio. Now, we've seen uh, Rumble's cardio be a little bit better than it was, you know, like like in the Phil Davis fight, uh, slightly in the Jimmy Manoa fight. But the main difference there that I saw was that Anthony Johnson was able to control the pace. You know, he went out there and he chose how fast the fight was going to go, and that allowed his gas tank to hold up better. Um, you know, like in the Jimmy Manoa fight, he was the one landing the takedowns. He was controlling the output of the fight, and thus he wasn't able to wear himself out too bad. Compare that to someone like Daniel Cormier, whose wrestling is top-notch. It's some of the best wrestling in all of the UFC. He can close the difference. He can close the distance, take you down, and then just wear on you. You know, he he's he grabs a hold of you and he doesn't let go. He makes you carry his weight and that just really saps the life out of you. And that's what we saw in the first fight. And it's something that we've seen a lot throughout Anthony Johnson's career. You know, he can start off very strong, but sometimes he'll occasionally he'll punch himself out and then allow his opponent to take over with the grappling and then find the submission. And that's something that Daniel Cormier, I think is definitely capable of because yeah, he puts a pace like no other. He clinches up with you. He, like I said, makes you carry his weight, makes you feel that forward pressure, and that's just going to really wear you down. You know, it makes you, whatever, no matter how good your cardio is, it's hard to keep up that pace for so long. And I think that that is actually going to be the key difference here. I think that no matter how good Johnson's cardio has improved, I think that Cormier's output and his gas tank is what's going to be another key difference here, in my opinion. 
I just, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I think, I think Johnson takes the rematch. I think it's going to be an awesome fight. You know, I'm pumped for it, but I just, I just think Johnson's going to go in there, land some shots, and not make the same mistake he did in the first fight. I think once he lands shots, he's not going to get overzealous. I think he's going to take his punches perfectly. And I think Daniel Cormier's age is about to show. Like, it kind of started the show in the Anderson Silva fight. So I'm taking Anthony Johnson by knockout round three. Wow, round three. Okay, so kind of a later one. Yeah, I can't I can't fault you for taking Anthony Johnson again. I've been going back and forth on this one for quite a long time. I think one of the biggest factors will just be how Daniel Cormier looks given his age. You know, will this be the fight where his age finally settles in and he just can't compete and his deterioration and he his durability is totally gone? If it is, then I think Anthony Johnson will knock him out. If not, and he still has that good chin. I do think that he can take over, and I think that he can score with takedowns, really drag Anthony Johnson into deep waters before submitting him, I think, in like the third or fourth round with a rear naked choke. But however it happens, I either think that Anthony Johnson will get the knockout or Daniel Cormier will weather the storm, take the fight into deep waters, and then get the finish late in the fight. So... That's kind of how I see it going. So I'm picking Daniel Cormier by submission. But, yeah, I really can't fault anyone for taking Rumble here because it's a very, very close fight with a lot of question marks specifically surrounding D.C. Yeah, it's uh, – I'm just – I mean, honestly, I'm just kind of being biased because I want Anthony Johnson win so we can see Johnson versus Jones. But yeah, not gonna not going to let myself get excited for that until the <laughs> end of UFC 210. So – I think it's going to be a great fight. I'm pretty pumped for it. The whole card, I mean, if you're staying for the entirety of UFC 210, it's 13 fights, and we just broke yeah. them down, and they're, it's a long haul of fights, but they're all good fights. They're all really interesting fights, a lot of prospect fights, a lot of veteran fights, a lot of contender fights. So UFC 210, I would say it's all-around good card, and I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited for it, too. And with that, that'll bring us to the end of our predictions. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for helping me break down these fights. Uh, Where can people reach you out on social media? Social media, I am on Twitter at Matt Cole Webb, M-A-T-T-C-O-L-E-W-E-B-B. Awesome, man. Sounds good. All right, and you can always make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at FunkyMonkeyMMA. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Kane E. Miller, and you can keep up with the site for the latest interviews, event photos, and analysis pieces. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Legends of the Cage, proud sponsor of Funky Monkey MMA Radio, helping legends of yesterday and tomorrow. You can find them on Twitter at TrueMMAHOF or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of the Cage or go to the website, LegendsOfTheCage.com. That's Legends of the Cage together with Funky Monkey MMA Radio. You can listen to Funky Monkey MMA Radio on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, Cash Roller, the TuneIn Radio app, MMAFutures.com, LoveMMA.com, MMAWreckage.com, and FightBookMMA.com. For the freshest news and notes on all things MMA, get over to FunkyMonkeyMMA.com. Interested in sponsoring the show? Then send an email to FunkyMonkeyMMA at gmail.com. You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA.